minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, and today is Yom HaShoah V'Hagvurah. Today is the day commemorated in Israel and around the world as Holocaust Remembrance Day, Holocaust Commemoration Day. We welcome you to this special broadcast on a Thursday morning at JM in the AM. Ya 
cannot sit here silently carry on their memory never again Yiskirem Hello Kinu Litova Yiskirem Oh Yiskirem Elokeinu litova Know that there is 
open one guided birth. When you feel pain, when you rejoice, know how it longs to hear your voice. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem finally passed, one man took on the sacred task to bring the scattered Jewish children home. He traveled far from place to place, a quest to reignite the faith of those sent into hiding long ago. He entered the fortress gray and cold. Your kind is not among us, he was told. Hashem above, he whispered, Please don't let me fail. As he began to sing, Shema
Ihr steht und guckt, was so ist, unser Es brennt, die Hilfe ist nur in euch allein gewähnt. Euer Gostetl ist euch teuer, nehmt die Kehlen, löscht das Feuer, löscht mit Eier eigen Blut, was weiß, dass ihr das kennt. Steht mit Brüder,
the siren in Jerusalem on this Yom HaShoah HaGvura, the day known as the Holocaust and Heroism Remembrance Day, Israel's day of commemoration for those who perished in the Holocaust at the hands of the Nazis and their allies and members of the Jewish resistance in that, and for the members of the Jewish resistance in that period. In Israel today is a National Memorial Day and um, commemorated, of course, with the sound of the air raid sirens throughout Israel. All traffic comes to a halt. It is really a moving and uh, unbelievable moment and a historic moment, if you think about it, that the current residents and citizens of the state of Israel are able to memorialize those who fell in one of the, or who perished, who were murdered in uh, one of the greatest atrocities in history. Thursday morning, it's JM in the AM. Today is Yom HaShoah, 12th day in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today, 631, 29 minutes before 7 o'clock. We will um, continue our appropriate programming for this day all through the morning until 9 a.m. And then, of course, continue with our Thursday programming on our stream at jmandtheam.org. In that original uh, opening mix of music, you heard Dveikis with both Kol Brahma and Gam Kielach, Aryeh Kunstler's Yizkarem, Shema Yisrael, done by Yaakov Shweki. S. Brent pulls in from a fabulous collection entitled Yiddish Songs of the Holocaust, subtitled We Shall Live, presented by the American Society for Yad Vashem. J.M. in the A.M., Yom HaShoah morning. We thank you for joining us.
instances of resistance in the Shoah, prior to World War II, in the ghettos, and even in the death camps. The resistance ranged from spiritual resistance to active armed struggle, from underground organizations within ghettos and camps to partisan fighters in the forests. Auschwitz-Buna, this is Auschwitz III, the majority of the inmates were Jews. The SS access about our professions. I said, I'm a pharmacist. 
He said, tomorrow you start to work in the hospital. So I, in Auschwitz, never worked anymore physically. My work, my activities in the camps was only to work against the Germans. We slowly took over the management. We had, for instance, Jewish kapos, Jewish barrack eldest, in the office assistants, secretaries. We had mostly Jewish doctors and nurses. Then you come to work in the hospital, you do your job, you treat the people as good as you can. There was no prescriptions. I had 30 to 35 people laying on pneumonia. The SS man, the administrator, who was responsible for the hospital, once in a while put on my table 12 sulfur tablets. But 12 is enough for one person a day. So what I do with 12, I have so many people. So we decided we have to give it to the young ones. So I turned to him, I said, you gave me for one person, but I have under two, three young ones I would like to help. He could take out the gun and shoot me for the question. He walked out, went to the SS camp, and after maybe one and a half hours, I see I have here more tablets. So I could save another two, three. He didn't talk that much, but he was a decent man. We tried everything just to cheat them to save lives. This was our purpose. Already by the second day, we had an organized sabotage group. At each point, there was one person, one key person, to ruin the grenade. The first step was the leaving out of the sulfur from the mixture. That was in the laboratory, up in the filling room when there was no control. The next one was damaging the wing of the grenade. I don't remember every step, but one of the steps was to damage caps, to not tighten the caps too much. If there was control and you couldn't put it through, then you managed to make a sign so that the next person knew that they had to do damage to the grenade. So I was the last one in the chain, and my job was throwing the grenades in a way that the cups got damaged. And I learned it quite quickly, so that I'm quite sure that after a while, there was hardly ever a grenade which managed to come through, slip through, in a decent condition, in a usable condition. They came an order from the German Labor Department that all people that don't have no jobs have to register to go to Germany to work. And the Poles did not want to go to Germany. So they ran away to the forest. And I went with them. And that's whether I like it or not, I became part of the partisan group in the forest. Partisans were underground fighters who resisted after their countries were overrun and occupied by the Nazis. Shlomo Berger became part of a Polish secret fighting group. This partisan group was made up of non-Jews, and because the members were anti-Semitic, Shlomo had to keep his Jewish identity hidden. Most of the time, we were not so active 
Everybody over there tried to survive and wait for the time. The times will change. There were local people there. They had hidden arms. They got their, their rifles out, their guns, and everybody was given a rifle. And whenever we had a chance, we used to mine the railroad tracks when we saw our military transport. We used to mine it. And whatever we could get out of these transports, we knew guys that used to be army people. They knew how to make small bombs. And we put them under the railroad tracks. And we left. We were hiding. We picked places where there was a turn around that you can't see when you are coming. And usually these trains were very little guards with them. This way we had ammunition, we had arms, we had all kinds of things. But basically we did not get involved in combat with the Germans. We tried to be nuisances. We knew the forest like our own hands. So they could never catch us. I pretended to be a Pole. Nobody knew that I was a Jew. Anytime they were talking about Jews, they said, the only good thing that the Nazis did is that they killed the Jews. These same Poles that had trouble couldn't stand the Jews. We were in these forests till the 29th of March, 1944. By March 1944, the Russian army advanced and we joined up with the advancing Russian army. There were other forms of resistance. Amazingly, in the camps and ghettos of World War II, some continued their religious observance. Two years in Auschwitz during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I organized religious service in my barrack, in the re-educational camp. We were between 15, 20 men. All day we prayed, lighted candles. We had one doctor. Here I break down. <laughs> Dr. Jonas Silver, he came from France, from Strasbourg. He know to daven everything. We had another Dr. Unikover. He was a lawyer from, Bres from Breslau. He knew the whole humash by heart. It was very dangerous that we be caught to young people. I told them to watch. Once they pretend they're working, and then somebody would come from the SS nearer, they would immediately call attention to it. One day I fainted. It was cold, miserable. And one lady had extra sweater and she gave me she wrapped my hands and said fight it fight it towards the end of november i went to one of the girls she was the youngest a red-headed girl not more than 12 13. the reason she lived so long because she was very tall for her age 
I said to her, I think today is the birthday of my little sister. Let me celebrate with you. Let me share my bread. She looked at me and she said, Cesha, I don't want your bread. But if you want to celebrate with me, bring me water to wash myself. I went over to this lady I knew and I said, give me some water for her. And she gave me a cup of water. I ran with this cup of water like it would be most prized possession you ever saw. And I gave it to her. She looked at me with such glassy eyes. And then she said to me, Cesha, I didn't mean water like that. I meant water all over my body, all over my face, all over. I said, oh, of course, this you will have right after the war. But take it. Of course she took it. But you know what? Next morning she was dead next to me. She just gave up. Didn't want to fight it anymore. I am an optimist. I believe. I believe strongly. It must be end of the war. My gosh, it's coming already. I was six weeks in Auschwitz. After six weeks, they sent us out. Deine weiße Stern streckt zu mir dein weiße Hand. Meine Wärter seinen Tränen wiesen Ruhen in dein Hand. Seh es dunkel, seh er finkel in mein Keller dicken Blick. Und ich hab gar nicht kein Winkel. Seh zu schenken dir zu lieb, und ich hab gar mit kein Winkel, seh zu schenken dir zu lieb. Doch Gott getreier, dir vertreuen mein Vermeid, weil es mond in mir auf Feier und in Feier meine Teg, nur in Keller nun lächer, wenn die mörderische Ruhe läuft ich hecher über Dächer. Und ich such, wo bist du wo? Leulich Hecher, über Dächer. Und ich such, wo bist du wo? Schöne Trepp und Häufen mit Gewäuf. Häng ich hage Platz des Throne und ich sing zu dir Asoi. Unter deine weiße Stern streckt zu mir dein weiße Hand. Meine Werte seinen Tränen ihren Ruhe in Dein Hand, meine Werte, 
seinen Fremden ruhen in dein
J.M. and the A.M. Avarachamim from Shema Koleinu. Well, as we've been saying all week, uh, a, a great deal of uh, recognition to those schools and organizations and synagogues that have been programming uh, for Yom HaShoah for this Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, a reminder that um, the Museum of Jewish Heritage in downtown Manhattan continues to offer appropriate programming on Yom HaShoah. Today, you could visit the museum with no charge and speak with Holocaust survivors. Survivors are in the gallery of the uh, Museum of Jewish Heritage from 10 a.m. this morning until 1 o'clock. museum will be open until 5.45 later today, and everyone is encouraged to uh, participate in that or any uh, Yom HaShoah program. Uh, our friends at, um, our friends at Manhattan Day School invite everybody today to participate in their Yom HaShoah program at 1.30 in the Manhattan Day School Beit Midrash on West 75th Street on the Upper West Side. It'll be an original presentation by the 8th graders that happens at MDS later today. The keynote speaker for the 72nd Annual Holocaust Commemoration of the Jewish Federation of North Jersey at Temple Beth Rishon is Dr. Rachel Yehuda, Director of Traumatic Stress Studies at Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Her topic, How the Trauma of the Holocaust is Genetically Transmitted from Survivors to Subsequent Generations. We will speak with her about an hour from now right here at JM in the AM. That should be a very interesting conversation. Seventy years of liberation will be commemorated tonight at 7 p.m. with keynote speaker Bernard Storch, a survivor and liberator, speaking at Congregation Avas Torah, Broad Avenue in Englewood, New Jersey, tonight beginning at 7 p.m. You can call the synagogue for information. Holocaust commemoration at the Teaneck High School takes place this evening starting at 7.30 with keynote speakers Howard and Nancy Kleinberg, who first met in Bergen-Belsen. Their story of survival and reunion is nothing short of a miracle. And um, that happens tonight at the Teaneck High School, presented by the Jewish Community Council of Greater Teaneck, beginning at 7.30 p.m. Um, let's see what else we have here. A couple of community notes uh, from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, not related to uh, Yom HaShoah. A reminder to those who are familiar with the case, with the situation with the home of the sages on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, that today the hearing for that case, the hearing for the home of the sages case, uh, will be today at 215 at 80 Center Street in Manhattan, room 122. And those who are uh, from the Lower East Side community or those who are who care about what's going on with this situation, are encouraged to be there uh, today. Room 122, 80 Center Street, 215 is when it starts. Um, and your help with that is greatly appreciated. And um, we'll have more from our community calendar, of course, coming up here at JM in the AM. I do want to remind everybody about our social media contest, which is going on with our friends from Kitchen Sink, Doug Sockloff and company. If you haven't yet tweeted a picture at Nahum Siegel Net or, or emailed a picture, webmaster at NahumSiegel.com of your favorite food, um, then it's going to be tough for you to win the prize, and that prize will be given away tomorrow morning. So make sure to take care of that. Get us a photo, the one that enjoys the most interaction on social media, 
as we've been saying, will get that grand prize from Kitchen Sink, and we thank them for their participations. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world in the web, jmdm.org. Seventy years from the liberation of Auschwitz, as was just mentioned on Galitzal in Israel. Everything closed last night in Israel. Restaurants, catering halls, theaters, etc. all closed last night. And television and radio stations with appropriate programming or no programming on Yom HaShoah. News is coming up next from Israel. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast on this Thursday, Yom HaShoah, Vahagvura, Holocaust Commemoration Day. Coming up next right here at JM in the AM. Galitzal, Ashash Time, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, Imashakore Achshav. מתרסק החשד שאירוע הדריסה אמש בגבעה הצרפתית בירושלים, בו נהרג שלום יוחאי שרקי, היה פיגוע. כתבנו עם בל תמיר. נהג הרכב שפגע בשני הישראלים, פלסטיני תושב מזרח ירושלים, נעצר ותוחקר על ידי המשטרה ושירות הביטחון הכללי. כל כיווני החקירה נבדקים, אך במשטרה אומרים כעת שמתחקור וממצאי חקירה ראשוניים. background, the noise from the street before the uh, siren goes off um, in Israel for Yom HaShoah. We lost our feed from our newscast in Israel, unfortunately. Uh, not happy about that on this Yom HaShoah. Um, the, uh, the news story that was uh, that I just mentioned at the top of the hour um, it, it, I, I believe the news report said that now, in fact, they are confirming that this was a terrorist attack this morning in Israel. The Shin Bet said it's taking part in an investigation into Wednesday night's deadly incident in which a car driven by a Palestinian East Jerusalem resident struck two Israelis waiting for a bus in the French Hill area. The two civilians hit by the car were seriously injured, and one man died of his injuries in the hospital Thursday morning. The Shinbet said the driver is married without children, resident of the Anatana neighborhood. No record of prior arrests. The man who died from his injuries was 25-year-old Shalom Yochai Shirki of Yerushalayim. Many of you, I'm sure, uh, know his brother, who is a uh, reporter for uh, Channel 2, in Israel, and um, he was placed on a ventilator, uh, ended up dying from his injuries. The woman who was injured also sustained head injuries and was sedated and placed on a ventilator. 
This is another car-ramming terror attack that uh, has occurred in Yerushalayim. And uh, like I said, because of the uh, the relation between the um, a person who was killed and a reporter in the Israeli media, this is being treated or reported uh, a drop differently with even more sensitivity, if you will, um, than it would normally. In other words, um, uh, for those in Israeli uh, television, it uh, really hit home. In fact, I saw a, uh, I saw just a few moments ago a, oh here it is, Manhigut Yehudit released a um, a statement. Shalom Yochai Shirki. We regret to inform you of his murder by an Arab terrorist. He was the son of Rabbi Uri and Ronit Shirki, veteran founders and members of Manigut Yehudit. Funeral scheduled today, 5 p.m., the Sephardic Chapel of Har Menuchot in Yerushalayim, and Shiva and Rechov Givat Shaul in Yerushalayim at the Shirki home. So, some of these, um, some of these attacks have even more impact because uh, certain people in certain communities, because uh, they're well known in those communities. Obviously, the Shirky family is one that is well known in the uh, Israel uh, national camp community. And in addition, as I said, uh, his brother is a reporter on Israeli television, which adds another dimension to it. Day 12 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today, six minutes after seven o'clock on this. Yom HaShoah HaGvurah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. I thank you for joining us. More coming up. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. Kinderlach, 
November 1944, America and other Allied forces were successfully storming through Europe, and German leaders saw the inevitable end. Nazi officials ordered the destruction of all records and all camps, an attempt to hide as much evidence of the atrocities as possible. Camps were evacuated, and hundreds of thousands of people were marched toward Germany. One day they came, it was already January 45, called slippery, muggy, uh, every good thing. They said they're going to liquidate the camp and they want to, we should go on the march. And they knew that Allied forces are coming. We didn't know. And I said to my sister, I am not coming, no matter what you will say. And she said, all right, if you're not going to go, I won't go either. We're both going to die. They're going to abandon the camp and we will die as simple as that. And I couldn't let it beyond my conscious. I said, okay. I went over to the girls and I said, come on. If I can do it, you can too. Come on. She looked at me. She said, no, but you know what? I have something of great, great value and I want to give it to you. And I said, no, keep it because after the war you will need it. She said, no, it's too late for me. And I thought, what could she have? She had to have something little. And she produced the smallest little piece of soap you ever saw in your life. She said, in a free world, you have to be clean. Take it. We embraced and we cried for a long, long time. And I never saw her again. We had to march. So my sister is older. She gave me her shoes. And she took some old schmatis from her eggs and wrapped like everybody else. It was January 1945. It was so slippery. I cold, no food, nothing, that if you slipped, you couldn't get up. There was no way in heaven you could get up. The Russians were advancing again. And we had to get out of the camp. They didn't let us there to be liberated. So we had to go on the so-called death march. You had to keep up because if you fell down, they shot you. Snow, and we were walking, walking, no food, no nothing. And when we were resting, we just flopped on the snow. The snow was building up on the shoes. It was just terrible. 
We were already starving for five years. At the beginning, they shot you right on the spot. But after the while, why waste the bullet? Let them freeze to death. And we walked for days and days. When the Germans got tired, we stopped. And then we couldn't get up. That's why they called the death march. All my energies were concentrated in going on in holding on as long as, I mean, if you already, you felt that it was the end of the war. But I thought, well, if I got through until now, now I don't want to die anymore. Lo and behold, we come to the port. We saw boats, real boats. Schnell, rouse, rouse, fast. So we went, we pushed ourselves on the boats, like sardines. My two cousins, all my friends, everybody. It was an air raid, end of January. And the Germans with the machine gun, with the dogs, ran to the bunkers. I pinched my sister and I said, they are human. Take a look, they're afraid. They left us on the boat. One of my girlfriends said, I am not staying on the boat. I'm coming down. So 14 of us, we went down. I, my sister, two other sisters, and we lay down to sleep. We said for the rest of our life, we want to sleep. When we got up, the boats were gone. We were heartbroken. Our chance to the free world, to Sweden, Switzerland. But we didn't know that the boats had holes in the bottom. And an hour and a half, all of them were drowned. My two cousins and all my friends, all of them. We marched four days, and I think in four days we probably made a whole four miles. My girlfriend and I were horse number one, and we just uh, tied ourselves with the rope, and we were dragging the sleighs. The guard said, and those were his words, he said, children, I'm leading you to your freedom. He knew that we will never make the Alps, because we just didn't have the strength. Each time somebody died, he would stop to bury the dead. Suddenly, it was like tohu vabohu. Everybody was running. Germans were running. Uh, guards were running in all directions. There were some barracks, and they were deserted. And he told us to lie down in those barracks, and life fled. Suddenly, there were two Russians. And believe it or not, one of them was on a white horse, like the same was here. We crawled out on all four from the tents because we couldn't walk. And we were crying. And he said, you are free, why are you crying? We were crying because we really couldn't believe it, we were free. We heard distant shooting. Quite a few of us panicked inside this barn. We thought they come and shoot us. They must have shot already others. And the, the, the noise came nearer and nearer. And as we then dared to go out, we saw all our guards, the SS women and Schulz, being shot. They had to stand in a circle, and the Russian just didn't ask any questions, and they shot them. Whether anybody was decent or not, they're shot. So that was the hour of our liberation. 
We're always imagining that when we are liberated, we're going to be dancing and kissing them. And I don't think they wanted to be kissed by us, to be honest. We didn't think of it that way. We didn't think we were so dreadful, you know. But to them, we, we looked absolutely awful, of course. But all we wanted to do is to lie down and be allowed to be ill. And as I was lying on the floor, almost dead, covered in sores, I saw this terrible, it seems to be gigantic tank coming through the gates and hearing a terrible bang and seeing the German guard falling on the floor dead. He was shot. This huge tank, it looked, looked like it was reaching up to the heaven. It was so big, this tank, and the, an American soldier came off there and he just picked me up like a piece of clay from there and said, my child, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know, but put me down. I saw for the first time, face to face, a man who, uh, who was colored. And the gentleness of this person. You know, I, I said to myself, well, I don't know if to say a prayer. No, Schwitzer did say once. If they say there is a God, it's not true. And I just said a prayer in my own way, and God. That they didn't do to him. What they do to my race. And this is the God's truth. I came out of my force. I was free. And I sat down and I said to myself, now what? No mother, no father, no sister, no brother, but I'm free. And I said, I got to survive.
J.M. in the A.M. A great listener suggestion, a song entitled Last Night. Thursday morning, Yom HaShoah V'Hagura. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Today's day 12 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. I thank you for joining us. Please keep in mind, uh, Shalom Avraham ben Peshaleah for Afur Shlema. Shalom Avraham ben Peshaleah, and we thank you for that. And also somebody who's having surgery today, Kayla Rus Baschaya Rachel. Kayla Rus Baschaya Rachel. And as we say, your help is greatly appreciated. I want to remind our social media folks out there, that our contest with our friends from Kitchen Sink continues. It'll end tomorrow morning. Uh, the way to enter is relatively simple. If you um, if you have a photo of your favorite chametz or non chametz food, just tweet it at us at NachumSiegelNet or email it to webmaster at NachumSiegel.com. We'll post it everywhere on our social media sites. And the photo that gets the most interaction, likes and shares and all that stuff... Uh, between now and tomorrow morning, will be declared the winner. And the winner will receive a uh, close to $1,000 gift subscription to our friends at Kitchen Sink. Information about this brand new and incredible service at kitchensink.com. And, uh, we'll sp- and, in fact, I think during our live lunch today, we're going to be speaking with Doug Sokloff about the uh, contest. So you can hear more in, in another uh, in-depth, I should say another in-depth uh, discussion about the Brand new uh, effort that he's undertaken. Partly cloudy weather with a high temperature of 61. Rain in Jerusalem, believe it or not. Very strange weather pattern there starting in the middle of Pesach until now. I want to remind everybody there are Yom HaShoah programs going on, including the Museum of Jewish Heritage, the Holocaust Museum downtown. They'll have a uh, a free day at the museum today. Survivors will be in the galleries between 10 and 1, an opportunity to speak with them. The museum will be open until 5.45 this evening, so keep that in mind. Um, Teaneck, as we mentioned, has a program at the Teaneck High School with keynote speakers Howard and Nancy Kleinberg. Uh, Avas Torah, Broad Avenue in Englewood with Bernard Storch. Survivor and Liberator, that begins at 7 p.m. tonight. Um, and again, to all those the schools and organizations that have gone ahead and designated time in their program this week for Yom HaShoah, Kolek Avot to you. In Israel, it's a, it's a much more serious day with the siren encouraging everybody to be silent for two minutes, no matter where they are, with the restriction that no uh, theaters and Catering halls and restaurants are open last night. Television and radio programming completely altered for the day. Here we try to give you a taste of that at JM in the AM. I want to remind uh, the Lower East Siders and those who are concerned about the home of the sages situation, you may be familiar with it, that the hearing is going to be taking place today at 215 at 80 Center Street, room 122. And we are encouraging people to attend. Room 122 at 80 Center Street, starting at 2.15 today. That is, of course, in Lower Manhattan. Lower East Side reminder from Congregation Chassam Sofer, the Moses Weiser Memorial Shabbos Chazonos happens this Shabbos with Cantor Yaakov Rosenfeld and choir leader Chilu Posen of the Mizamrim Choir. 
Uh, it's a Friday night davening at 7.30, Shabbos morning at 8.45. Information 212-777-5140 for information. Our friends from Ohel were here yesterday, and the Rising from Divorce presentation, that brand-new groundbreaking film, will be shown at the Unusual of Midwood, followed by a panel discussion, including Rabbi Mansour and many other distinguished um, uh, panelists, this coming Sunday, starting at the 7.30 p.m. at the Unusual of Midwood. Everyone is encouraged to attend. If you missed our conversation about this yesterday, it is worthwhile going back and listening some point later on today. Thank God that in the uh, in this era, when we speak of Yom HaShoah, we do have a Yom HaTzma'ut, and we'll go through some of the events that have been scheduled already for next week, as Yom HaZikaron will be on Wednesday, and Yom HaTzma'ut will be Wednesday night and Thursday. We uh, cannot uh, overstate the the enormous um, the enormous uh, providence that continues to be part of this generation that we have the opportunity to celebrate Yom Atzmut. So we'll do that coming up seven thirty in the morning. It's J.M. and the A.M. Rabbi David Goldwasser has appropriate words for this day. His words, Echonishmas Arav Zeb and Rabbi Yosef Halevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. Rabbi Lazar Mon, the Rosh Hashiv of Or Yisrael, told of a Talmud Chacham who came to the great Goin Rabbi Chaim Kenievsky. The Talmud Chacham tearfully presented a question, and Rabbi Chaim shed tears when he heard that question. The Sefer Barchi Nafshi tells us that the Talmud Chacham related he had an elderly mother who had lived through all the horrors of the Shoah, the Holocaust. The Nazis Yemach Shemam killed her whole mishpacha in front of her eyes. The woman would often tell him, I want you to know what sustained me throughout the entire Holocaust, through all the tsaras and all the Yisurim, all the pain. It was the words of the Tefillah, But despite all this, we have not forgotten your name. We beg you, do not forget us. These words were She was accustomed to saying this at every juncture, specifically when the Tzoros intensified. She said that she derived great nechama, great comfort, when she would say these words. I explained to myself, she said, that we daven to Hashem, and just like we don't forget Hashem, even for one minute, even in this great Gehenim, we try to be Mekayim the mitzvos. Please don't forget us, and don't leave us in the hands of these Rishoim, the Nazis. She continued, Hashem did listen to my tefillahs, and He saved me from the valley of death. I came to Eretz Yisrael, and I was privileged to raise a wonderful generation of observant Jews. I want to praise Hashem that He remembered me with the rest of His servants and redeemed me. What I ask from you, says the mother, is that when it comes my time, please put in my hand, inside with me, the words, 
We have never forgotten your name. Noal Tishkocheinu. Please don't forget us. My tefillah of Hashem will be, just like these words took me out of the Gehenna of the Shoah, of the Holocaust, these words will also take me out from the Gehenna of the Olam Elyon and bring me into Gan Eden, into heaven. The, ta- the Talmud Chochem asked, Is it permissible to follow the last will and testament of his mother and to put this Pasuk into her hand in the Aaron? The great Goyen Reb Chaim answered that there's really not a problem with these words. It's actually just a Lashon of Tefillah. However, he said it should be put into a vessel within a vessel. Reb Chaim said you should know that Hashem does not need this paper. He is the Odea Kol. He knows all and the page does not add anything. However, don't tell this to your mother. If she has comfort from it, there's no need to tell her. The great Kedoshim, the holy martyrs of the Holocaust, they don't need the page. They don't need to remind Hashem. For Hashem is the Odea Koel. He knows that they gave up their life, Al-Kidush Hashem. And for that, they go to the highest place in heaven, a place where those that never experienced the horrors of the Holocaust can never reach. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizuk. Good morning. Rabbi Lazar Mott. sainted father of blessed memory was holding me in his arms well aware of the impending disaster I could barely hear his words above the sound of blasting shells and gunfire outside our small home my mother and sister had already been killed by the Nazis 
and we knew it was just a matter of time before we would be found.
first time that I had a terrible sadness about the people I lost and came a young girl anything between 15 and 18 she saw that I still had my uniform on so that people would know who I am that I'm not a Nazi or anyone like that 
And she knelt down and embraced me and kissed me like a sister. She was very sweet. And these were the first normal human words that I have had. A number of people from the camps, they heard that in the forest nearby, there were some SS men were hiding. And they went to hunt them with guns and they invited me to go as well. I could not do that. And at the time I thought, is it a weakness? Is this a strength? Am I soft-headed? Because these murderers deserve anything. I couldn't do it. Later on I thought about it and I haven't regretted it. Even to this very day I feel that I couldn't adopt the same approach to them as they have to us. By 1945, I came back to my town. I looked around. There were about 25 Jews there. Survivors that came back home, the Zionists were transporting Jews from place to place to get them out of Poland. Nobody wanted to remain in Poland. I came into the committee in Krakow, and I knew the girl that was in charge. And I looked at the very beautiful girl that's standing right next to her. So I made a date with this girl. And I said, I'm going to marry this girl. She was also a survivor. I decided that it's time to leave. I took a group from Krakow to Krosno, including her. We made up some papers. I prepared myself concentration camp uniforms. Everybody was wearing the striped uniforms. We went a whole group to the train. And we were going to Czechoslovakia. In the train... I tore up all my documents, all my pictures, and I put on a concentration camp uniform. We all became Greeks, going home from the concentration camps to Greece. I changed my name to Shlomo Harari. Harari is like burger. We came to Czechoslovakia. We were traveling in these open trains. People were coming out. They brought food, clothes. We changed the clothes. We came into Hungary. We are in a town that's called Debrecen. On the 8th of May, firing, shooting, music, bands playing. Germany capitulated. The war ended. We are free people now. About a week and we got married. I met her the first part of May. We got married the 18th of May. We were freed by the Russian army. A lot of people who were freed by the Americans died from overeating. We were not that lucky. <laughs> we didn't get much food. We were starving even after we were freed. They did establish hospitals. And I went to hospital because I had typhus. And people around me were dying. And I, I could see the look on their faces. I knew when they were going to die. And I refused to look at myself in the mirror. I said, I'm not going to look in the mirror because if I see that I'm that ill, I'll die just of the fear of it. There were German doctors and nurses still looking after us. I remember a German doctor coming and he looked at me and he told to these Germans, it was in the evening, she won't last till the morning about me. And I said to myself, that's what you think. 
that really gave me strength. I was very frightened, I can tell you. But I refused to go to sleep because I thought I'm not going to wake up. So I used to stay up every night and sleep during the day. Well, I just sat up and I wouldn't go to sleep. And I even tried walking around. After liberation, many survivors hoped to find family with which to build a new life. Unfortunately, for most, that was not to be. Two-thirds of European Jews were killed in the Shoah. Thousands of Jewish communities no longer existed. Jewish life in Eastern and Central Europe was essentially gone. All I remember is just walking out of that station and walking through Prague on my own. And a lot of strangers all of a sudden. Of course, the first thing I did was to go back to where I used to live. I don't know what I was expecting, but obviously there was no one there because they were all dead. There was an office in Prague where you had lists and lists of people who came back. And I went to see these lists every day, hoping somebody would come back, I knew. But none of the family came back at all. So I just remember walking around Prague being absolutely devastated, feeling that, you know, I was alone in the world. The hope was gone because until then one had hope that there would be a small group of people one knew, some relatives, some friends, and one would start life again, have a community, get married, have children, and carry on. But there was absolutely nobody there whom I knew. I was 17. Ah, we thought we're going home, everybody be alive. Any Poleward you met on the way and ask, oh, all of them are alive. He said, go back to your hometown. They are all, all back. We came back to Poland. Nobody was alive. I went to school in Poland. Back to school, yeah. So I was the only Jewish girl there. They were saying like this, thank God Poland is without Jews. Thank God. We don't need them. And I was scared, so I dropped out. We lived on the second floor, and downstairs on the first floor was the young girls and boys on the way to Israel right after the war. I knew most of them. I knew most of the young girls between 16 and 19, 18. The 1946 was the pogrom in Kielce. And they kill them all, 42 girls and boys. They cut off their heads. I said, I am not staying one day here. Not a half a day. I'm leaving. Those all were young survivors from the camps. In Sachsenhausen, I stayed two years. Then one year in Großrosen. Two and a half years in Auschwitz. And the last three months in Nordhausen. So altogether five and a half years. The war ended, the Americans marched in. The second day I joined the American army as an interpreter and as an investigator. Right the next day when the Americans came, because nobody could communicate with them. I still remember English from high school. With his friend, with his prosecutor from Poland, I worked with the War Crimes Commission for one and a half year, helping preparing the trial of Nuremberg. We asked them, could we go from camp to camp and collect records? And we took trucks. And we went from camp to camp. 
and took every piece of paper, the records, because the Germans kept very good records. But not only about the prisoners, but about themselves too. In fact, when we went to the barracks, to the SS barracks, we removed from the beds the names of the SS. This is proof. In 46, I came to the United States. And in 46, started the trial of Nuremberg. I was not at the trial. It gave me some satisfaction. Later on, I was called from United States three times to be a witness at the Sachsenhausen trial, the Auschwitz trial, and the Großrosen trial. The communists, the first thing they did is took away three factories. Since I spoke good German and good Russian, I became the manager from one of the big salami factories. And this was my beautiful revenge over the Germans. They were horrified of me. They called me Kleine Chefi, little boss. I was only 24. They were our, more or less our prisoners, even though they were free to go home. But to work in our factory meant life. At night when they left, they steal a salami. But I knew how to look. I asked the big chief to give me a Jewish boy as a helper. And I volunteered to stay at the gate when the Germans were going home from the factory. And I would walk back and forth, and I could tell by the face whoever was hiding something. And I would drag them out of the line, and I would say, search him. One man got on his knees, and he kissed the toes of my shoes, and he begged me to let him work, and I said no. And then one of my friends said, if you walk out of there, maybe he'll kill you. I said, I don't care. The pleasure of telling him, no, you cannot work here, because he was stealing a few salamis, I said, I think that brought back my sanity. I could do anything I wanted. I could put them in prison, I could tell, but it was just the satisfaction. Take their vodka and, and tear it in as many pieces as I could, and that would make me happy. When they, when they would cry and they would say, this is the food I have to bring. I said, you at least remain alive. But when you people found something that we were bringing home, you killed us. After, after a month, I couldn't do it anymore. One day I came home and I was crying. My, my girlfriend said, what's the matter? And I said, the pleasure of being mean is over. I, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I knew I could, I was free. After this, I was, uh, my husband, who also found out that I was in Berlin, sent for me, and I, with help, we escaped Berlin and went to Munich, and Munich was the American zone. Voices from the Shoah on this Yom HaShoah V'Hagvura, uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day at JM in the AM. Four minutes before 8 o'clock as we close out this hour, Thursday morning, day 12 in the counting of the Omer. Thank you very much for joining us on this day. Tomorrow, our weekly update at uh, about 7.40. We'll speak with Malcolm Honline tomorrow morning, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. You might have read you might have read the statement of the Prime Minister of Israel on this Yom HaShoah, a statement that emphasized how the West 
has not learned the lessons of uh, the Holocaust. And um, we see so much being replicated today in world diplomacy, just like decades ago. Uh, we'll speak about that and much more. Weekly update tomorrow morning, 7.40 in the morning. Malcolm Holmline will join us right here at JM in the AM. Reminder, our social media contest continues here at JM in the AM. We want everybody who uh, had somewhat of a Pesach break to rejoin us and re-engage on social media. We've asked for fo- for food photos, for food photos to be tweeted to us at NahumSiegelNet or uh, emailed webmaster at and The winner will be declared tomorrow morning. The winner, uh, Doug Sokloff of Kitchen Sink, has arranged for a grand prize of a one-month subscription for their service that delivers the uh, the food right to the door so that you can prepare meals for your family. And um, that's a one-month subscription, and we thank him for that. And everybody get your pictures in, and we'll declare a winner tomorrow morning here at JM in the AM. I wanted to, again, thank the schools and organizations and synagogues that have been spending time this week with Yom HaShoah programming, I do remind you the Museum of Jewish Heritage is open today. It's a free day at the museum. You have an opportunity to speak with Holocaust survivors who will be available in the gallery from 10 until 1. The museum will be open until 5.45 later on today. There are other commemorations as well that are going on, including a uh, Yom HaShoah observance at Avas Torah on Broad Avenue in Englewood, New Jersey. Bernard Storch will be the keynote speaker, survivor, and liberator. That's Avas Torah on Broad Avenue in Englewood, 201-568-1315. Jewish Community Council of Greater Teaneck has its annual observance of Yom HaShoah tonight. Keynote speakers Howard and Nancy Kleinberg, who met at Bergen-Belsen. They have a miraculous story. That's 7.30 tonight at the Teaneck High School in Teaneck, New Jersey. Want to remind the Lower East Siders in this audience that today the hearing for the Home of the Sages is being heard uh, at 2:15 at 80 Center Street, Room 122 in the Lower Manhattan. Uh, that's today, 2:15, 80 Center Street, Room 122. Anybody concerned about that case who wants to show support could be there at that time, and I certainly hope many people will. Hassam Sofer on the Lower East Side invites you to the 16th Moses Weiser Memorial Shabbos Chazonos with Cantor Yaakov Rosenfeld and Chilu Posen of the Mizamrim Choir. Tomorrow night at 7.30, Shabbos morning at 8.45. Information, 212-777-5140. Yesterday our friends from Ohel were here. They're releasing the brand new Rising from Divorce video. That film and a panel discussion takes place this coming Sunday at the Young Israel of Midwood starting at 7.30 p.m. A very informative and important uh, evening. Uh, that's happening at uh, 1694 Ocean Avenue in Brooklyn, New York this coming Sunday night. Keep that in mind. Uh, we mentioned that many uh, synagogues, we have an, a, a unique, well, before we get to that, let me remind everybody that Neshe Cares and Maimonides Medical Center presents Mothers of Multiple Support Group. The topic is humor in relationships. Dr. Yael Respler, this coming Tuesday at 8 p.m. With a light buffet, free parking, all mothers of multiples are invited to participate. It's always a nice event. It's at 950 49th Street in Brooklyn at Maimonides Hall. 
uh, Humor and Relationships with Dr. Yal Respler this coming Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Information, Mati Atlas, M-A-T-T-I dot Atlas at Yahoo.com. M-A-T-T-I dot Atlas at Yahoo.com for information. As I mentioned earlier, we have a unique opportunity in this generation to celebrate Yom Mood and to speak about Israel's independence, even on Yom HaShoah. And uh, many uh, synagogues, organizations, and schools are planning Yom Mood programming, including the Mizrahi on the Lower East Side of Manhattan at 249 East Broadway. On Wednesday night, Filat Arvit Beruach Hagigit, followed by a presentation by Mr. Josh Nass on the topic of utilizing public relations to help Israel. Shacharis with Hallel Thursday morning, a week from today, starting at 6 a.m., Alta Mizrahi, 249 East Broadway, in the lower Manhattan on the Lower East Side. Yom Ha'atzmut program has been announced for the Yeshiva of Flatbush High School, Tfilat Mariv, plus a drama presentation by all the different choirs of Yeshiva of Flatbush, Wednesday night, beginning at 8.15 in Brooklyn, New York. So check that out. Chagigat Yom Ha'atzmut happening Wednesday 7 p.m. at Manhattan Day School. Uh, first uh, through eighth grade performances, the MDS Choir, Israeli Food, plenty of Ruach, and much, much more. Make sure to dress in blue and white. We'll see you at Manhattan Day School that evening on uh, Wednesday night. Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmud are being um, presented by the Frisch School in Paramus. On Wednesday night, doors open at uh, 7 uh, program begins at 7.15. The program will end at 10.30. And um, they'll feature the Shema Orchestra. Uh, Yom Atzmut Celebration, right, so it'll be Wednesday night. They'll feature the Shema Orchestra. It's free for anybody who votes in the WZC, uh, World Zionist Congress elections, votetorah.org. Uh, many great sponsors, including... Uh, uh, B'nai Akiva, Kent Moshavah, The First School, Mayanot, NCSY, TABC, and Vote Torah. So that Yom HaZikaron Yom HaTzmut celebration uh, happens at the First School on West Century Road in Paramus this coming Wednesday night. Information, contact the First School. Upper West Side celebrates Israel on Thursday between 5 and 8 p.m. at the West 79th Street Boat Basin Cafe. That's a nice place. I've passed that. Um, that's starting at... Um, that is starting at uh, yeah, 5 p.m. Uh, information, you can uh, check out their Facebook page, UJA Federation of New York Facebook page. And yes, for those who are concerned, it does say here, dietary laws observed, which is good. Lamdenu has a Yamatzmut uh, presentation this coming Thursday morning, a week from today. Tzilat Chagigit for women happening at 9.15 in the morning. Shira and Divrei Torah for women only at 10.15, and brunch with Israeli, few, with Israeli food and viewing of Beneath the Helmet from high school to the home front. Uh, for that, men and wo- women are welcome starting at 11.15. Programs open to the community. Lamdenu uh, at Congregation Beth Aaron, Queen Anne Road in Teaneck, New Jersey. Information, Lamdenu at AOL.com, Lamdenu at AOL.com. And that is a uh, full morning Coming up in honor of Yom Ha'atzmaut a week from today, and finally the OU and we and we really we got to get going on this uh, drawing because we are going to um, we're literally going to toss all the communities into a hat, 
and we're get, we're going to draw them on the air to see which ones we feature during the Sunday web show that we're going to be doing from the OU Jewish Communities Fair, the fifth annual International Jewish Communities Fair, home and job relocation in partnership with Nefesh Benefesh and OU Israel. That's right. The OU has gone ahead and uh, has listened to the public and is adding an Israel component to the Jewish Communities Fair. In addition to the 40-plus communities are going to be featured on Sunday, April the 26th, starting at noon at the Metropolitan West on West 46th Street, uh, right across from the Intrepid in New York City. Go to OU.org slash community, OU.org slash communities. They have communities from everywhere coming in to explain why they are the perfect choice for your family. And now that the NSN app exists, you can listen to the show anywhere in the whole world. So, hey, that problem's taken care of. You don't have to stay in the New York, New Jersey area. Um, so the Jewish Communities Fair, including a major um, uh, Israel component, is going to be featured by the OU Sunday, April the 26th. Again, as I said, we're going to toss all the communities into a uh, into a hat, into a drum, into a barrel. And choose the ones that we are going to uh, feature during that Sunday uh, web show that we're going to be doing from the location, from the actual fair, which will be really cool. It's day 12 in the counting of the Omer. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org.
from their beds, taken away to die. We must awaken, our souls must Peace. 
Selection Memories from Journeys in Volume Number Two. Well, as we've been mentioning, the uh, Jewish Federation of North Jersey tonight at Temple Beth Rishon features Dr. Rachel Yehuda. Uh, they have a, an entire uh, lineup, a, a a wonderful Yom HaShoah uh, program scheduled for this evening in Wyckoff, New Jersey. Uh, but Dr. Rachel Yehuda is a very interesting. Uh, speaker. She's Director of Traumatic Stress Studies Division at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Her topic tonight, how the trauma of the Holocaust is genetically transmitted from survivors to subsequent generations. Dr. Rachel Yehuda, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning. Thank you. This, uh, who even thought of approaching and exploring this topic? Uh, I guess we did. Um, <laughs> well, well, that's so clear. But genetically, is in quotes. It's not uh, transmitted in the classic genetic Mendelian manner. Right. Understood. Uh, so it's part of DNA, but not really part of DNA. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and what I mean by you know who thought of this topic, I mean uh, there there has been so much written and studied about the Holocaust, and I can only imagine how much has been written and studied about survivors and their families and the next generation. But I don't know if anybody had ever thought or before your research had examined how the trauma of the Holocaust can go from that generation to subsequent generations. What tipped you off to this? What did you detect in the next generation that you said this is worth exploring? Well, actually, the the second-generation Holocaust survivors have been quite articulate. They've used the arts and the literature to really portray a problem, and the problem is that they have been affected by the Holocaust. Right. It's not necessarily a problem. It's just a reality, 
And when we opened up a specialized treatment program for Holocaust survivors and their families at Mount Sinai in the early 90s, we thought we would just get calls from Holocaust survivors. That was our intention. But um, many children of Holocaust survivors called and said, we are also casualties of the Holocaust. And so we took that very seriously and began to study it. Uh, How did it manifest itself? I mean, is somebody who is affected as a next generation member, you know, by what their parents or, you know, survivors and their family went through, how would it manifest itself? What type of behavior would we look for? Well, there were a lot of things. There were feelings of anxiety and depression, the burden of compensating for past losses, uh, problems with loss and separation and interpersonal relationships. Different than other people, would de- how other people would deal with it? Well, that was our question, right. because when we looked in the literature in the early 90s, there were studies, as you mentioned, that mostly tried to dispel this myth that there was an effect of the Holocaust on second generations. It was mostly, sure, there are always going to be people that have mental health problems. Um, I, I think that this was an idea of really wanting to not appear damaged. It's almost as if you're giving the Nazis some kind of a posthumous victory if you feel or if you assert that there are still scars. But if you don't recognize that there are scars, then you're not really validating um, the gravity of the situation. Right, but even with survivors themselves, I'm sure you've seen the the entire spectrum. I mean, there certainly must be survivors who were able to, you know, let things roll off their back, believe it or not, and, you know, get started on a brand new life. And we've heard of that, right? I mean, psychologically, well, there, was, there was some who were able to approach it that way. There's certainly a spectrum. Um, I haven't met too many people that have let the Holocaust roll off their back. Um, But what you do is you use the experience um, somehow to transform your life. And there are people that became very um, determined to move forward in um, a strong way. And there were other people that felt like they couldn't move on, that the losses were too great, the scars were too great, and then there's everything in the middle. But the important thing is to recognize that this kind of a traumatic event will have an effect. Uh, Dr. Rachel Yehuda is with us. Now, you've uh, authored more than 300 papers, and you've edited 10 volumes on biological studies of PTSD, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. Uh, so obviously you're a real expert in this area, which leads to the following. Uh, is, is there in, is there an equal, um, is there equal research when it comes to children of, you know, U.S. Uh, Army personnel uh, who come back and have PTSD? Do we see in the next generation that they, you know, suffer from certain things or behave in a certain way because their parents went through a certain experience in the Army? Well, I think that research is um, happening. Uh, the The conclusions aren't. Um, the conclusions right now are equivocal, 
but there are certainly effects on children of um, service persons, and a lot of times we see at the VA people coming in for treatment uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder, having had post-traumatic stress disorder in their family, their fathers and grandfathers from previous wars. So I think that it is familial. I think one of the things that we've learned in our research is that there are different mechanisms of transmission from of fathers and from mothers so that the effects can be a little bit different. But in the case of Holocaust offspring, you often had two Holocaust survivor parents. So you had a double dose. Um, and you had a trauma that was sustained over a very long period of time and had many, many effects. So it's been a more clear signal, but I would say that this work is universal and generalizable to all cultures and societies and populations that um, have had parents exposed to extreme trauma. That's why it's so important. Is there a higher percentage of clinical depression in the second generation compared to, I don't know, uh, you know, an average control group in the United States? Well, we found that um, second generation Holocaust survivors were about twice as likely to experience depression and anxiety disorders. Wow. Clinical depression. I mean, the, the, the real thing, so to speak. The real uh, thing. Yeah, understood. Um, why, uh, how, did, how did you feel when you were asked to speak tonight at a Holocaust commemoration program? Uh, we know that most of the uh, uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day gatherings, uh, you know, feature survivors' stories and, you know, direct words from those who experienced what went on 70 years ago. Uh, did you have any hesitation uh, whether your topic would in fact be an appropriate one for this forum? Uh, I did not have hesitation about the topic. I think that um, biologic studies such as the ones we've conducted are a form of Holocaust testimony um, because you can't really deny the results of biologic signs. So it's not the same as having Holocaust survivors tell their stories, but as the years go on and on, um, we will not have a lot of survivors to tell their personal first-hand account. Right. We're going to have to find some way to keep their testimony alive. What about collective, uh, a collective aspect of these syndromes that you've examined? Uh, many times, uh, for instance, uh, just as an example, uh, when the attacks happened in Paris, I uh, loosely used the expression, and in many cases continue to use the expression, that the collective Jewish heart experienced tremendous pain. Uh, that they, you know, they 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 felt the uh, the pain of other members of the Jewish community, who of course we didn't know, but you know, had suffered at the hands of the enemy. Um, is there is there now, based on your research, more to what I said than that? Meaning that collectively, as a community. We really do have a connection and feel and, and can, and our moods can be swung in one direction or the other based on major news events that affect others in our community. There's no question about it. Um, but the one thing that I want to make sure that I say, I'm going to say it tonight, is that not all the effects of trauma are negative. Um, many of the effects are positive. Um, they're resilience promoting and that even the effects that are given to the second generation are not necessarily all negative effects. Um, in fact, uh, many Holocaust offspring report having tremendous strength 
They have a more profound sense of injustice and more of a desire to engage in social justice um, and help other people. So I think when we say that um, traumatic events affect us, and there's a wide spectrum, oftentimes we focus on the negative and we don't, we just don't remember to talk about the positive impact on culture and society that a traumatized person can have. In private life as well or only collectively as a community? No, I think private life as well. I think you have to work hard to um, have what we call post-traumatic growth, and that certainly isn't um, advocating trauma as something to make you a better person. I think that trauma is terrible and perpetrators are not excused based on the fact that some people can use the experience in a positive way. But I think that it is very important to acknowledge that trauma gives us an opportunity um, that we can use in a positive way if we try to do that. Does the next generation have to worry about this? Do grandchildren of survivors, are they also going to have the quote-unquote uh, genetically transmitted uh, behavior that you've noted in the second generation? That's a really good question, and I don't know. Um, but the one thing I can tell you is that a lot of the things that second-generation um, Holocaust offspring reported um, did not do not seem to be similar um, in terms of what third generation are reporting. That grandparents um, tended to be able to relate to their third generation perhaps in a different way. So I think that that's something that needs to be studied. It has enormous implications. There are other uh, groups that are interested in um, this phenomenon, what we call historical trauma, Native American cultures, um, etc. And they're very interested in this idea of legacy uh, history and what the implications are for several generations. But we don't know yet whether the biologic uh, marks that I'm going to talk a little bit about today linger into the third generation because we haven't looked at that yet. Yeah, You know, I was at a shiva call at some point in the last few months and uh it was a group of brothers sitting Shiva, and they said what they remember about going to elementary school many, many years ago in Brooklyn, New York, was that they were the only ones in their class uh, that had a grandparent. Um, in fact, they said that it was to the point where there were kids in school who didn't real, obviously, a survivor community. We're talking about, you know, the center of Brooklyn, New York. And uh, they said they, they even remember there were kids who didn't realize that a parent could have a parent and that they were an anomaly that was looked at like those are the kids with a grandparent. And I said to my kids at the Seder this year, who, thank God, Bliain Hura, had three grandparents at their Seder, I said, you know, this is something to keep in mind, that uh, not, not, not always do we have the in, in Jewish history, in fact, I would argue probably never before in Jewish history, do we have all these occasions where three and four generations are together and just a very short time ago, uh, it was impossible uh, to even have two generations together when you think about it. So, just yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to say, and I think that when you're in it, a lot of children of Holocaust survivors, as they grew up, they were also surrounded with um, other children of Holocaust survivors, and they may or may not have had good radar for how different their experience was right. of not having relatives. But as they grew up and as they uh, 
got more into the world, the striking contrasts were really um, very obvious, and a lot of people wondered what what is the effect of having been raised the way that they were raised. You know, it's so funny because we often point out, you know, oh, you know, that person as an adult behaves this way because they were an only child and they didn't grow up with, with brothers or sisters, you know, whatever their circumstances might be. I, I've never added that to the repertoire, that, you know, people grew up without grandparents or without an extended family. You know, that that also, of course, has an effect on everybody. Every circumstance, as we know, as you know, I'm sure, has an effect on uh, everyone's development, right? Nature and nurture. The nurturing is always exactly. is always the wild card, right? You never know. Right. You never know. Uh, fascinating. I thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Rachel Yehuda, Director of Traumatic Stress Studies, Division of Mount Sinai School of Medicine. It's a, it's a full program for Yom HaShoah this evening at Bethry Shone in Wyckoff, New Jersey, and she's the keynote for the 72nd Annual Holocaust Commemoration of the Jewish Federation of North Jersey. Uh, we wish you good luck tonight, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Uh, Thursday morning on this Yom HaShoah, JM in the AM. By the way, I was asked to announce that the Federal Social Court of Germany has recently recognized that labor in a ghetto meets the conditions for a pension payable to Holocaust survivors who worked in a ghetto that was under Nazi influence. Heirs of survivors who died after 2007 may also be eligible for this pension. For information about all this in the filing application, uh, 888-888-2180. That's 888-888-2180 if you want to get information about that. JM in the AM 835. Thank God there's uh, there are some simchas out there and they're... When you think about it in our day and age, there's a lot of simchas, thank God. Last night we had the opportunity to be at the wedding of uh, Batsheva Dichik and Eitan Adams. want to wish a mazel tov to the uh, Dichik and Adams families from all of us here at JMN. And the Adams are from uh, Toronto, Canada. And, of course, uh, Ruby and Dr. Stu Dichik, a special mazel tov to you. It was wonderful to see everybody last evening and to celebrate. Um, Speaking of celebration, we have a unique opportunity in this generation, and that is to celebrate Yom HaTzma'ut. Uh, and I mentioned uh, the Yom HaTzma'ut programs that we have in front of us that have been uh, sent in to us uh, to announce for next week. I wanted to add, uh, I received one from uh, Rabbi Klibanoff in uh, Livingston, New Jersey, and Congregation uh, Eitz Chaim um, will have a community-wide Yom HaZikaron uh, observance and Yom Ha'atzma'ut celebration, which will feature Malcolm Honline on learning the lessons of history. And that happens Wednesday night at 645, 1 Lafayette Road in Livingston, New Jersey. They'll start with Mincha, Yom Ha'atzikaron, into the Yom Ha'atzma'ut Chagiga, and of course, uh, the presentation by Malcolm Honline, who's going to join us tomorrow on the air. Uh, information contact Congregation 8 Chaim in Livingston, New Jersey. Uh, we could add them to the list of synagogues and schools and organizations that are getting ready for Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmud. Our Yom HaZikaron program and Robert Katz has an unbelievable one scheduled for Wednesday. He'll be here Wednesday. He'll be doing the Yom HaZikaron program as only he can. And then Thursday, our Yom HaTzmud celebration, Mayor Weingarten is on his way back from the Holy Land, and we will convene for our Yom HaTzmud celebration on Thursday at JM&AM. I want to remind everybody that our social media contest is still on. It ends tomorrow morning. Uh, you want to uh, tech, you want to um, tweet at Nahum Siegel Net a photo of your favorite food. That's tweet at Nahum Siegel Net a photo of your favorite food, or um, uh, email it to us webmaster at nahumsegel.com, webmaster at nahumsegel.com. This is of course uh, the contest with our friends at Kitchen Sink. Uh, the grand prize, uh, close to a one thousand dollar value, a one month subscription to Kitchen Sink. 
and the food delivery service uh, under the leadership of Doug Sokoloff, and uh, we'll declare a winner tomorrow. It's very simple. The photo that gets the most interaction on social media is going to be declared the winner. Simple as that. And we have our expert, Danny Goldberg, uh, watching it very carefully to see who's going to prevail in that contest. Results again tomorrow morning here at JMNAM. 23 minutes before 9 o'clock, Yom HaShoah morning. Weekly update with Malcolm Holmline tomorrow. The Prime Minister has declared that the West has not learned the lessons of 70 years ago. Um, we'll speak about that, I guarantee you, and plenty more tomorrow during the weekly update, 7.40 Eastern Time. Hear it on Jam the AM, Jam the AM.org, and of course on the app, the NSN app from anywhere around the world. By the way, we have a, a great, um, we have a great lineup on the Nahum Siegel Network today. Uh, Charlie Harari at 9 a.m., of course. Um, there are a couple of shows really worth noting on this Yom HaShoah. Um, uh, after Charlie Harari, um, a Jew in the City. Allison Josephs is going to be doing the Jew in the City Speaks uh, broadcast. That is going to be between uh, 10 a.m. and 10.30. At 10.30, Miriam L. Wallach with Jennifer Teague. Jennifer Teague wrote a book, My Grandfather Would Have Shot Me. An observance of Yom HaShoah, best-selling author, a, a Jennifer Teague, a black woman discovers her family's Nazi past. She'll be on the program with Miriam L. Wallach. I heard a preview of this. It's a great conversation. 10.30 today. Live lunch coming up at 11 o'clock. The uh, stunt show is going to concentrate on acapella music. And that is because Jordan B. Gorfinkel, the acapella expert himself, is going to be conducting it starting at 1 o'clock. He'll feature the annual World According to Gorf acapella show. A guest, Robert Dietz, accomplished arranger and producer and coach on the sing-off uh, NBC's Acapella Competition TV series as they pull back the curtain and tell all how vocal harmony music is made. After that, an emotional Yom HaShoah Holocaust Remembrance Day presentation. Um, so there you go. And uh, Gorf is going to be doing that between 1 and 2. A 2 o'clock throwback Thursday is going to concentrate on one of our classic Yom HaShoah programs from JM in the AM. Keep it here on a Yom HaShoah morning at JM in the AM.
Off of the uh, Heritage uh, CD from the Museum of Jewish Heritage, that is uh, 
that is one of the um, that is actually a, a medley of some of the great children's selections from pre-war Europe. Eight forty-five on this Yom Hashoah morning at JM in the AM, twelfth day in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Many of you are familiar with the fact that today in Israel, on Yom Hashoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, there is a siren. That went off earlier today, encouraging everybody during that period of time to stand still and remember the six million. Someone just sent us a photo of a supermarket in Israel with a table covered with an Israeli flag and six Yartzeit candles with a big sign, Zachor, in an Israeli supermarket. They take this day very seriously in the state of Israel, and we try to bring some of that to you here at JM in the AM. We mentioned the siren. This is what it sounds like in the marketplaces and everywhere else in Israel on the Yom HaShoah morning. Jewish home in Frankfurt, Germany. His father taught him olive base. He learned to read and write. Each night he heard his mother say these words to him. Yosef, my son, the Lord our God is one. God is very near. Yosef, my dear Yosef, my son 
We are the chosen ones. Do not fear, we'll always be together. Joseph was a boy of nine in 1942. He had a secret hiding place like all young children do. Horrified, he saw them take his mom and dad away. Alone, he heard his mother's final words to him. Joseph, my son, Take some food and run. God is very near, Yosef, my dear. Yosef, my son, we are the chosen ones. Do not fear, we'll always be together. His hand on the western wall was a lifelong dream come true. He'd made it to Jerusalem, the city of the Jew. He opened up his sitter as he had done each day. He prayed to God for his mother and his father. Stood there praying for a son he thought long dead. That voice, that's my father's voice, was all that Joseph said. He looked into the old man's eyes, tears came down his face. He fell into his father's embrace. Joseph, my son. The Lord our God is one. Now come, your mother's here, Yosef, my dear. Yosef, my son, a miracle has been done. From now on, we'll always be together. Yosef, my son, the Lord our God. Shabbat 
Perfect for Yom HaShoah. The melody gives us a little hope as we wrap up our Yom HaShoah presentation. 
JM and the AM, I thank you for joining us on this Yom HaShoah. Tomorrow morning, it's Friday. Weekly update and more. Make sure to join us as we analyze the events of the week. Prime Minister of Israel would argue that the events of the last month has proven that we haven't learned much from the Shoah. Talk about that and much more tomorrow morning here at JM and the AM. Please keep in mind, Shalom Avraham ben Peshaleah for Rafur Shlema. Shalom Avraham ben Peshaleah for Rafur Shlema. Please keep in mind, Kayla Rus Baschaya Rachel is having surgery today. Kayla Rus Baschaya Rachel having surgery today. Make sure to get your photos in for the contest, the kitchen sink uh, grand prize. Thank you to Doug Sokloff for that. Uh, either tweet your photos to us at NahumSiegelNet or uh, email them, webmaster at NahumSiegel.com. We hope to announce that winner before 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, all day long, amazing programming on the stream. As I mentioned earlier, Miriam Wallach has an incredible Yom HaShoah interview coming up at 10.30. Jew in the City, Allison Joseph's coming up at 10 o'clock. 9 a.m. next, two minutes from now, Charlie Harari with the boardroom. A big shout-out to our friends the Joel Pohl Group who continue to do everything in their power to employ as many people in our community and beyond in this, uh, what I hope is a growing workforce. I hope it's growing now, finally. Uh, so a big shout-out to the Joel Paul group there coming up uh, as well. And um, Gorf has an incredible a cappella special today in honor of uh, Sphira starting at 1 o'clock. Join him for that, plus his Yom HaShoah commemoration. And Throwback Thursday at 1 o'clock is going to, at 2 o'clock rather, is going to be one of our Yom HaShoah classic specials from the JM the AM archives. Achinu Yisrael and Achim Achim, brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. No better way or more appropriate way to close out a Yom HaShoah broadcast than with Hatikva here at JM in the AM. Charlie Harari comes up next with the boardroom on our stream at jmtheam.org. Have a good Thursday. Tomorrow we are back starting at 6 a.m. Tell Ben Alchem Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.